Today we're at the Ulster Folk and Transport Museum and Glenn Cross is going to give us an overview and a little walkthrough and a guide and we're going to share some of the experience with you. Then, where are we geographically located? Right, Austin. If we were able to see beyond the trees over there, you'd see Belfast Loch. Yeah. That's a sea loch. Right. It's an inlet in the coast. And it's interesting because we're on the county downside. Okay. And across the other side is County Antrim. Okay. So to put that geographically and perhaps historically, Counties Down and Antrim would be the centre of Scots Presbyterian settlement in the 1600s. Okay. Whenever those people were invited over um, to take over land and farm it and, and, and build businesses here. So Belfast sits at the mouth of that river Lagan where it flows into the loch. So we're about maybe 12 minutes by right. train from Belfast. Right. 15 minutes by road. Yeah, we, we came up in a taxi, and to give an indication to the listener, you know, was, there was four of us in the taxi, and it was less than 15, your, uh, 15 pounds. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, quite close, and time-wise, very short as well. To and, get up of course, there. as you come up the road, you'll have passed Belfast City, the George Best Airport. Yes. Which is, shows you just what proximity. It's about halfway between the museum and the centre of Belfast. And we also passed, I understand, where Rory McElroy's parents live. Yeah, well, that's Hollywood. Just, yes, we just came through, we came road, through Hollywood. So, so now we're in the museum, and we're in the village, which we refer to as Ballycultra. Um, it is to represent a typical Ulster market town from about 100 years ago. And we're looking at um, a cobblestone street, yes. red brick buildings, as well as some whitewashed buildings. Well, that's and right. And the distinction there is that the buildings you're referring to are working class buildings. Okay. These are little row houses or terrace houses for workers in the mills and what have you. Yeah. The whitewashed ones you're looking at just there are some of the earliest examples of Belfast housing. In fact, they're probably about 1820, possibly a little earlier. And what's interesting about that is Belfast, really, it has never been declared a city at that stage. Mm -hmm. It's halfway house between a large market town and, you know, you, you're talking tens of thousands of inhabitants rather than the hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. that there are. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But it's burgeoning. Mm -hmm. There are mills and factories opening. And the people inhabiting those whitewashed houses would have been from all arts and parts as far away as Donegal, Cavan, and they're coming right from Ulster all around into Belfast to find work. Because at that point, the economy, the agricultural economy in Ulster is depressed, fairly depressed. So they're looking for work in the factories. And, of course, Belfast was a, a, an industrial centre. Yes, it was. I mean, it gets the, the, the moniker at one stage of Leninopolis mm -hmm. as opposed to Metropolis. It's mm -hmm. Leninopolis, the capital of linen production throughout the whole world. And it was known throughout the world. It for was for top quality linen. Indeed. And one of the largest stores in Belfast, um, Robinson and Cleaver, declared in their advertising that they sold to anyone from um, the, the, the ordinary householder up to princes and kings, which was true. Their so list. they were on the mail order business way we were. were. Yes. Now, you will know, coming from Canada, that there was a man called Eaton, I think. Correct. Uh, yes, he did an apprenticeship in a little drapery, a bit like the one at the end of the street there. Okay. And I believe as a boy, he didn't like that. He used to hide under the counter. At least I've been told that. Okay. But of course, he gets to Canada as an immigrant, and he builds an empire. Indeed. Timothy mm. Eaton did yes. indeed build an empire. And the connections between the north of Ireland... Uh, are very strong with Canada, as indeed with the south of Ireland and yes, Canada. Yes. But the, the north of Ireland, um, uh, 
the emigration story spreads through the 32 counties and the relationship and how successful and influential people from the north were. Yes, well, there's, there's great promise in Canada. It's like the United States. There's land to be had. Mm -hmm. Canada, of course, um, there are a few stories that I'm aware of, and I'm no historian, but the shipyard in Belfast, Harland and Wolf, was headed up by a man called Lord Perry. Mm -hmm. And Perry actually was born, I believe, in Quebec. Okay. Or somewhere in Canada, anyway. Now, his father died, so he was then brought back to Ulster. Right. But they had business interests out there. Yeah. yeah. Now, another person who's an interesting Ulster figure is the first woman to fly her own aeroplane here, Lillian Bland from Corn Mummy. Okay. Now, Lillian was a go-getter and uh, a girl who would wear trousers and smoke cigars. So, if oh. you understand me, she was oh. different from the norm. Very much so. That would have been very much challenging well, social norms in every respect. At one point in her life, she has to, for family reasons, go to Canada and run a lumber business quite successfully for right, a while right. but yes there are these deep connections indeed, indeed. where should we walk from here we can we take a mosey along the little street we go here. down then and now, remembering that there are dozens of buildings here yes. to see and you can see around you even as we stand here um, there's a Presbyterian meeting house over there, that large right. building, which is from OMA. Okay. And it tells you something about, well, I, I find this fascinating because this museum rescues buildings. It brings them here. So these were, a lot of the buildings, if not most of the buildings here, would have been um, deconstructed. Exactly. And um, reconstructed. That's exactly it. We get some visitors who believe, because it looks so authentic, that maybe this is a village we've taken over yeah. as a museum. But no, this was a greenfield site back uh, a number of decades ago. And yes, they began to bring buildings from all parts of Ulster yeah. and to reconstruct them here. Now, it's not always the case, but in most cases, that's the truth. It is true with the Presbyterian Meeting House over yep. there, yep. which, um, believe it or not, was a print shop in its final guise in Oma, uh, run by a printing business, and then they, they didn't need it anymore. And it was recognized for what it was, important, and brought here and reconstructed. To build a, the parallel for a Canadian uh, in Ontario, particularly, there's a, a park like this called Upper Canada Village. Yes, I've heard of that many and, times. And again, this, it is yes. a, an effort to reconstruct what was uh, history yes. at a, a well, point in time. That is what we are all about, is living history. Which is why I'm wearing the costume I'm wearing. Right. You'll recognize um, the, the guides in this museum because they're wearing authentic period costume. So I have this rather nice pinstripe suit yeah. on. <laughs> the period we're depicting, as I said, is about 100 years ago. Okay. Maybe you could roughly call it Edwardian. Okay. But do remember that the buildings are across several centuries. Okay. Some of ours are from the 1600s and the 1700s, but we are trying to show how a little village might have built up over time with all the things you would expect, schools, places of business, dwelling places, churches. And of course one of the big differences between Ireland and North America <coughs> is history in Ireland goes back thousands of years. Yes, it does. Whereas something that's a hundred years old yes. in North America is ancient history. Well, I suppose that's true, but let me say something to you. A lot of our ancient history is um, buried in the annals of time because for a long period nothing was written down. So if you ask me about um, what the um, Celts or the Druids or whatever believed, I think we're shooting in the dark sometimes. Oh, yeah, know. but we're shooting in the dark a couple of thousand years back, not yeah. a couple of hundred years no, back. No, 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 that's true. But um, we do have buildings, as I said, from the 1600s. And 
I'm seeing what looks like a gas light. Yeah. Is it a gas lamp? It is a gas lamp. Now, um, that would have been standing in Belfast at one stage, and we've several of them that have been rescued to be put in the streets here. Um, the Belfast Corporation ran the gas works um, in Belfast in the early 1800s. They began to supply town gas to, at first in the streets for public yeah. lighting and then to houses. To houses. Now, the houses that we're in front of, these are the workers' whitewashed. Yes, and as I said, they're very early. The whitewashed indicates that. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a rustic thing to have lime wash on the walls. Or so you would have had families being reared in houses like this and back in the days of the linen mills and all the rest, the families tended to be somewhat bigger. Uh -huh. um, and the accommodation in a typical house like this was what? Well, one or two two bedrooms, maybe well, two up, two down? This, you'll see declared on the wall there, Tea Lane, which yeah. is the familiar name for this little street. Um, but if people wanted to look it up online, they could look at Belfast uh, census reports from 1901 or 1911. Looking at them last week, right? And you can go under. It's called Roland Street. Okay. R O W L A N D. And you can see that there are a lot of people in some of these houses. Yes. Maybe double figures. Yes. And maybe three generations. But do remember that for some of the agricultural workers coming to Belfast, they might have been living in a one-room cabin, either built from rocks or sods of earth. This actually might have seemed all right to them. But for us, if we go inside, I'll, yeah. I'll let's open this. Because the other thing was on that census that you mentioned, and one of them, and I can't remember if it's 1901 or 1911, you can actually get down to looking at the census form, which include the dimensions, the number of rooms, and all that specific information. That's exactly right. Um, now, if you look, that's just a clapboard wall yeah. separating off the stair from this main room. When I say main room, it makes it sound grand, but it is a small box. It and is. We, we're nearly touching the ceiling. Correct. So that's easy to heat. Yes. And in fact, if you were a DIY guy, you won't get a crack in your neck uh, painting that ceiling. Correct. But it's easy to heat. Remembering that the families here are only using it maybe sometimes to cook, but a lot of the time it's just a place to sleep. Right. Uh, get ready in the morning to go out to the factory and then come in at night to sleep, you know. But you can see, as we've displayed it, early part of the 20th century, there is a gas meter in mm -hmm. the corner mm -hmm. with a little slot for the mm -hmm. coin to go in and the butterfly wheel to turn it and drop the coin in. I've actually used those. Yeah, it's a lovely satisfying clink as it drops in there. Yeah, because then you had hot water. Yeah. So you get several <laughs> cubic feet of gas for that. Yeah. The pipe is very precarious. And just There's a couple of nails supporting it on the wall yeah. there. Yeah. It's a lead pipe. <clears throat> and you've got one gas lamp on the wall right. and the corporation at one stage would have supplied this delightful object here which is a single ring yeah. which would have had a rubber tube on it okay. connecting to a fixed outlet now that's a bit dangerous and there were accidents with time gas there's no doubt and sometimes people would rob the meters and Indeed. damage them when they were doing so then down here the kitchen is a small area somewhere in the back yeah well and this is the kitchen this as well so you've got your fire here okay this is where the lady of the house did the cooking and heats water for washing and doing the laundry um, in the back here, if we pass through, you'll is see it, it's, it's what they would call a scullery. Yes, area. I was going to ask, yeah. where is this the scullery back here? So this one has a couple of shelves for the tins and the crockery and different things, supplies that they might have. Yeah. And you have a, a basic um, deal table. It's a scrub wooden table. Yeah. A couple of little creepies or benches for the you know the kids to sit on. Yeah. And um, maybe a washing line out the back, a tin bath. You can see in the yard here. This is where the family 
after they're washing. Yeah, and the out and the and, and the outside toilet. And the outside toilet. No, yeah. looking at that, there would be a hole. Would, yeah. Yeah. That's a dry toilet. Yeah, because these are so early. These are the kind of toilets that had to be emptied by corporation men. Okay. And that's a long-tailed shovel pushed in to carry the soil away, and it's carried through the house. Lovely. So housing acts, subsequent to the building of these in the 1820s, housing acts forbade this. Okay. They said that there had to be access from the from rear of the house through the entry. Okay. Because it was too unhygienic. And then the, there's the area where the coal would yeah. have been kept. Coal <coughs> relatively cheap. Um, I, well, I mean... For a ton of English coal, it's about thirty shillings, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which is, is um, I suppose, that's more even than a skilled man's weekly wage. But that's a ton, which would be a lot. The only thing I have to say, Lynn, is some of this looks a little bit too familiar. Yeah, uh, uh, many of our visitors say that. <laughs> I tell them not to beat themselves up about it. You know, no, no, it's, no, it's, um, it's a I, I think a lot of us had in our granny's houses or whatever we saw these things. And, uh, oh, was that where you? <laughs> well, I, I grew up in a two-up two down, so yeah. uh, I know what it's like as well. Yeah, yeah. Now the whitewash, just to finish off, I didn't mention, but the houses are whitewashed and it is limewashed. Yes. Now you got has uh, a pipe in hygiene yes yeah because it is uh, antiseptic in a certain yeah. way no I don't know if you want to no, we're we're no, no, those stairs are very narrow they are very narrow and of course every have an accent. well every square <laughs> inch is of importance yeah now you asked me about the numbers of people living yeah. in these houses I've had people tell me that the way that the kids were fed if there were five or six kids or more because there isn't room for a big table in there to yeah. sit everybody around the m- they would sit in height order up those stairs and then the meal would be passed up the stairs to them, and so really the, s- the wooden stairs is a place for them to sit at meal times and eat their food. And because the house is relatively small, actually, the riser is quite high yes, on is. the stairs. Yeah, you're right. It wouldn't be no, you wouldn't meet code. Wouldn't meet code. Wouldn't meet code today. Health and safety would be here and said you can't have right. that. You're noticing all those important details. Yeah. The difference between uh, and of course, look, we've got a half, half door. door. This is a country feature. Yeah. We always think of the Irish cottage and people leaning over the half door. So again, it's telling you that. These, these houses are early Belfast. Yeah. When in those days farmers still had the right to drive cattle, sheep, geese through the streets to the markets. Yes. And Belfast had markets for everything. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. And, and you see the shutters on the door, on the windows here? Yes. Well, maybe that's to prevent uh, a rogue bullet or whatever. Two, two, two windows, and I don't know if it applied here, uh-huh. but it certainly. Um, uh, that tax on property was based on light. Mm, yeah, sometimes that would be true, but it doesn't pertain in Ireland as much as it did in England at times. Um, the reason the windows are kept small is that glass and joinery work like that are expensive. Okay. okay. Expensive in the first place to do, so um, sure, why would they need a lot of light? They're not, they're not working in there. <laughs> they're working in the factories. Now, if you go to a weaver's house, which we may take in, in yeah. a while, it'll have big windows because okay. the weaver needs lots of light. You're listening to At Home and Abroad on Irish Radio Canada. Here's a little piece of music, and we'll be back chatting with you in a moment. The wind, the wind, the wind blew high. The snow come a-tumbling from the sky. All of Maurice says she'll die if she doesn't get the fella with the roving eye. She is handsome, she is pretty. She is the fella Belfast City. Let them come whatever they will, for it's Albert Mooney she loves still. Welcome back, and we're, it looks like, in a coal yard. Yes. At the back of the houses that we just were looking at. Hmm. 
Well, so then, then we're in the we're in the what would be the fuel merchant? Yeah, Kelly's uh, coal yard here. Now Kelly's was a genuine enterprise. Employed at one stage over ten thousand people. They had yards everywhere. They had their own fleet of boats actually bringing right. coal over because there aren't any good coal deposits in the north of Ireland. Um, at one time, a long time back, they thought there was uh, supply to be had at Coal Island, and they built a canal for that reason, etc., etc. Okay. But actually, at the time we're talking. You're getting coal brought from Scotland, from Yorkshire, from Wales. Yes. And so in this uh, coal yard, you can see different sizes and grades of coal. Yep. Um, some of it would be the domestic singles or whatever, um, good quality anthracite. And you've got what's called steam coal or engineering coal over there, the big, big lumps. Yeah, they're, they're very large. Yeah, you can't throw small stuff into a boiler or a furnace or you'll get like an explosion or a blowback. Right. So for things like steamrollers, ships, yeah. uh, mill furnaces, y you've, got to, um, you've got to use the engineering coal. Right. Thousands of tonnes every week being brought over by ship to the north of Ireland, which of course, as we talked earlier, was an industrial very, city. Very, very industrial city. Yeah. Indeed. And of course, uh, with shipbuilding, um, there was a great need <coughs> for furnaces. Yeah. So again, the, the industrial coal would have been... The, the fact is, in Belfast shipyards, when there were two major ones, um, there was what they called the, the wee yard clerks, but there was also Harland and Wolf. And in Harland and Wolf's yard, there were over 60 trades. Yeah. And they made boilers uh, from scratch, you know. Yeah. Um, they had cabinet makers. They had all those trades going on there. We, we had the pleasure of um, the Titanic experience, and it was wonderful to uh, get an insight into all that also. Well, what we're trying to show you here now is... Um, as I say, an Ulster market yep. town. Um, it's not Belfast, but in a wee town like this, you've got different trades going on. And shortly, I'll take you maybe to meet Bob the basket maker, who uh -huh. makes objects from Willow. Um, we can go and see the forge and see um, iron being bent and, and the, the blacksmith. The blacksmith, yes. Indeed, indeed. Um, a beautiful square uh, where, where every town throughout England and Ireland would have had a place That's like true. this and uh, an area there with the pump. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a big trough, because trough. Course, even back then, people don't realise this, there was legislation to protect animals from abuse. Okay. So you had to feed and water them, right. and that's right here in the market square. Right. So the policeman, if he was on patrol, and we have a police station here too, Okay. Now if he was on patrol, he'd be looking to make sure that the animals were being treated correctly, you know. So um, I notice a, uh, an old delivery bike over at the picture house mm -hmm. there. Uh, one of the ones that has the basket in the, fr the yes, front. That's it. Um, the bike be used to go and get the reels of film from the local train station. Okay. And they might change the program two or even three times a week. Um, and those were big reels. Big reels, and inside there, the projection room you'll see is clad in metal because of the fire risk. It was quite unstable. The old um, nitrate sort of films were could um, burst into. That was using the. Um, Yes, because it's um, two rods, isn't it, to create the light? I did. Uh, I projected. Yes. Did you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, did, here's a fact for our um, listeners. I bet you didn't know that before he became a writer of some note, James Joyce was actually um, in a partnership. He was the first person with his partner to open a cinema in Ireland. I didn't know that. Yeah, I believe he came up to Belfast to try and start one here, but they, didn't, they weren't interested. I you didn't know, know that. Uh -huh. I have a few um, friends very interested in Joyce. Yes. Um, so I will then be sharing this and well, getting. I, I was told that and I believe it's true. Right. Now, the lovely building we're approaching now is a dual purpose building and it's from Cushion Doll. It's um, 
in a lovely red stone. Okay. And you can see that's dressed stone. It's been quarried and shaped to fit. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. It actually. is indeed. So that's a perfect example when people ask, were these buildings really taken down and put together the way they were? Well, up at the top of the stairs, we have a lovely photograph on the wall of the building in its original location at Cushendall. Right. And the curators and conservators have numbered the stones. Yes. So that they go back, they go in, back the right in the right place. order. So it's dual purpose. And downstairs, that open area underneath is part of a market house. Okay. So perhaps um, things like vegetables and eggs and all butter be sold under there. Yeah. And out the front, because you can see it's set back from the main street. This apron, this area at the front, is for pens where um, the sheep or the cattle or horses would be uh, tied up in this area at the front. So that leaves the question, well, what's the upstairs? It's a petty sessions court. And um, crime pays. Well, I suppose it pays solicitors and Indeed. all of that you know <laughs> and it keeps the police busy um so the upstairs chamber they would hear um cases about minor theft trespass vandalism all of those things so when was the park uh can, when was it all brought started right. when well the, uh, the this goes back maybe to just to say that northern ireland of course uh, is formed in 1921 mm-hmm. 22 you, you you've got things changing and and they don't even have a parliament house that's the beginning of the construction of stormont it takes 10 years for the big parliament building at stormont to be completed we found out coming up today it's yeah. 365 feet it's a beautiful building yes and you can what? see it from all all parts and it's hey. lovely so whilst they're considering how to set up the state of Northern Ireland and what it needs, um, they come to the conclusion in the 1950s anyway they need an act of parliament to create national museums for Northern Ireland. Right. So that gives them the power to start creating one and they need to buy some land. This land here came available. It actually was a greenfield site. It was part of an estate belonging to a family called Kennedy. Um, now nothing to the American presidential no, he, was, he was down, <laughs> down <laughs> but it's a greenfield site and they start to look at uh, how they will bring buildings here and by 1964 the gates are opened and there are a few buildings to see well the gallery space is actually in the old uh, manor house okay. and in those days we now have purpose built galleries um, and all these buildings around us so. so something like this also would be a work in progress so I take it as it's yeah. still enhancements and talk about um, I suppose 10 year plans or whatever you yeah. know um, I'm not privy to what the future holds but no but yeah I'm sure from time to time changes are happening. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah the last major um, the last major thing that happened was uh, the Discovery Farm area, which was to open up sort of rural life and agricultural practice a bit more, and that's out in our country area. Right, right. So over the course of, of the year, um, the interest that has grown and the... Oh, I see we're about to go on the old town scales, but mm-hmm. um, I remember these also. Um, but this, uh, certainly I know this is listed as one of the um, attractions that somebody should put under it, itinerary and looking around and seeing everything. Um, certainly coming from North America, whether it be somebody whose family had emigrated many, many years ago or somebody who was uh, Canadian or American, it gives a very, very strong flavour of what life was like in urban, because urban was small urban, Ireland. Yes, yes, it does. Remember, what we're showing you here, just down the lanes, are farmhouses. 
and Weaver's College and the Forge out there. And yeah. So it's not a million miles removed from rural life. It is a, just a small market town. Yeah. Um, and all the people around living in a little town like this would have been uh, practised in lots of crafts and au fait with the ways of the countryside. And, and of course, people regions were somewhat self-sufficient. Yes, coal would come in from outside, but generally between farming and weaving and a lot of other things, there was an awful lot of self-sufficiency. Yes. Um, there, there are things, for example, called turbary rights. That's yeah. a strange word. I only came across it that, not that long ago right. because I was researching about um, petty sessions and things like that. Turbary rights are the rights to dig turf. Yes. And most families have these in some way in the countryside, right. um, old boglands um, that they could go and cut turf. Uh, now it's about this time of year, I think, actually, that they would start to do that, and then it would be set out to dry. Right. I'm not sure winter supply of fuel. Right. Now we've talked about the coal, yeah. but look, we we should go and uh, look at a lovely old house where you'll see peat, and I'll explain a bit about that. Okay. Um, now I said this scales here. It's. Uh, uh, about the size of a, a single car garage, mm-hmm. uh, and I see a big scales inside because we're familiar with truck stations now where they have way stations for yes. trucks. But this would have been the equivalent from around back that time. Why is the why, why, why was there a scale, why was there a scales in well, that town? Slap bang in the middle of the the market square or the diamond as we call it now in Ulster. You'll get a lot of times with what's called the diamond. Right, it's the square. It's yeah. the place in the middle where the markets are held. Right, so. It's slap bang in the middle of that because when somebody's coming in with carts of potatoes or other goods, bushels of grain, they have to be checked from time to time. And the customs and excise and even the police will be here too, will run an eye over what they're declaring to be... uh, Okay. So again, so we're, we're dealing with um, this was operated as then customs and excise are law enforcement. Yeah, that's okay. right. It's ever present. You know, there's always death and always taxes. <laughs> that's exactly. You know, the people in this little town would have um, lived by very much the same kinds of precepts that we're familiar with nowadays. Yeah. And there'd have been argument about the type of politics that we're still arguing exactly. about nowadays. Exactly. So I think that's fascinating. You know, now way down there, you can see. It's a very still day, and you can see the wispy grey smoke rising Indeed. out of the cottage there. That's a turf fire down yeah. there. Um, before, as we look down, at, uh, we're also seeing we've changed the architecture. Uh, we're standing in front of a thatched, whitewashed yes. house. Uh, and on the one side then, we're looking at what would be relatively modern construction. Yeah, you know, well, well, because it's been uh, rendered in cement there and, and struck to look like block work, uh-huh. yes, that's very familiar. When we drive through Ulster towns, you'll see a lot of that. Some people accuse it of being a little too grey sometimes, but that is just a, a cement render there on the police station and the post office. And the post office mm-hmm. was a multi-purpose, generous yes, supply. It's, it's the heart of the village, isn't yes, it? You know, yeah. you, you, they, they don't just run it as a post office because you wouldn't make your fortune doing that. So you have to diversify. And so they have chosen, this is the Ray family. Um, and by the way, the building's from Castle Street in Antrim Town. Okay. okay. Now, the building starts its life in the 1700s. So although you're saying it looks fairly sort of... Contemporary. Current, yeah. It is actually an old structure underneath that render and what have you. But yes, the Rays are running their little post office there as a stationary business as well and school supplies. Um, And some post offices would be selling other things, perhaps uh, paraffin for lamps, you know, and things like that, household supplies. 
and that's a genuine family name the Rays did run that mm -hmm. at that address mm -hmm. back in the day in Antrim Town so we have authenticity embedded with these buildings too indeed indeed mm -hmm. um, so the slate uh, I'm looking up as well and I see different like very large slate yes. and small slate yes. and n uh, normally when it comes to construction much of the construction would have evolved from local materials You're that were available right. mm. and the big slate is it well, look, that, that's a very interesting thing you've raised there because it is true people will use what's around them mm -hmm. many of these um, irregular stoned cottages these are what we call field stones so whilst they've been clearing for plowing they'll have removed them and built the houses with the big stones they've found right. and the thatches from the straw from the crops they've grown but those Slates are known here as bangers, banger blues, okay. right? and that's not Bangor County Down, which is just up the road, okay. that's Bangor in Wales, because they were shipped over from the slate quarries in Wales, and at the time we're talking, thatch isn't always used anymore for buildings, people are moving to things like corrugated iron and mm -hmm. slate, um, so there's a transition, but yes, it's interesting to look around this little village and see that there's thatch, there's slate mm -hmm. and um, well there's a couple of little ad hoc buildings as well with maybe felt or iron on them mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, and of course red brick was something that was also yeah. uh, very common that's, that's the substructure of a lot of County Down, County Antrim if you were to dig down you'll find this um, clay underneath your feet in many places, right. red clay and um, it goes back a long time, millions of years, but of course if you bake it the right way you can make bricks from it mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that's why you have so much red brick uh, structures in, in Belfast and other parts of, of County Stone. Indeed. Yeah. We're going to take another little break. You're listening to it Home and Abroad on Irish Radio Canada and we'll be back to you shortly. Oh, ma, ma, would you buy me a, would you buy me a, would you buy me a, ma, ma, would you buy me a, would you buy me a banana? Welcome back, and we've arrived down into an area where there is, all I can say is breathtaking, um, basket making skills being adapted to a variety of things, and I'm chatting with Bob Johnson here. Bob, I'm looking at the number one bus that's going to Bangor, or coming from, going to Bangor, and it's all made from... Uh, it's all willow. Willow. It's, uh, it's different types of willow. And really, it's a more, more modern use of the material. Generally, we make all these sorts of baskets, all, mm. all functional baskets, but uh, it's just a link in with a display the museum's putting together. So there's, there's a few different types, a few different colours, a few different varieties, but it's... And it's a double-decker bus. Double-decker. So tell me about basket making and um, how it was an integral part of what would have been life in <coughs> olden, olden times. Well, it, it, was, it was essential, really. People didn't have plastic bags, cardboard boxes, so all the baskets you see around the room would have been everyday, functional, traditional items, all, all essential. Uh, nothing fancy or decorative or, or pretty about them, just everyday working items. Big turf baskets, fishing baskets, uh, everyday sort of household sort of stuff. So the raw materials then, so that's willow. Is it, is it always willow? Mostly. It's uh, it's very easy to grow. So okay. It's very fast growing. Uh, we would grow it here in the museum, but if, if you come over to this part here, you can see there's different varieties. So you can see a variation in colour, thickness, um, and even working quality. You know, some of them are absolutely gorgeous to work with. Very very supple. 
but they can be very brightly coloured. That'd be quite a nice thing to inject into, you know, more modern work like this, more sculptural stuff. So when you say uh, easy to work with, like Willow is supple, very incredible. Um, would that more so than what would be other? Yeah, I, I mean, people people would have used what grew in the area. So okay. Yeah, you, you would find some basket makers used a bit of hazel or a bit of ash. Okay. Uh, a bit of rush straw, but willow will grow virtually anywhere in this country. So it's it's very very easy to access. It was like a free material, really. Okay. Um, and you know it was easy to work with as well. So it was, that was a real bonus. So the skill of basket making then, or basket weaving, would have been something that would there have been a person in the community and that was their role. Yeah, so, uh, very much so. Every town or village would have had a basket maker and that could have been every four or five miles down the road. Okay. Somebody in the area could make what the area relied upon. So in, in more rural parts, you know, farmers who probably weren't trained in any way as professional basket makers could make what the area needed, the, the, the turf baskets, the potato baskets. Mm-hmm. So someone in the area had the skills, but it was very common and uh, it was very common to see a plot of willow growing through the Irish countryside. It was known as a Sally Garden and it didn't require good soil. You didn't need a huge plot of ground. So the material was easy to grow and the skills were, were everywhere. I didn't know that was what the Sally Garden was. That's, that's where it comes from. Yeah. Um, but a very common feature in the Irish countryside. And, uh, of course, basket making, basket weaving was a functional role as distinct from an artistic role. Very much so. I mean, most basket makers today have developed into more decorative uses mm-hmm. of the material, more modern uses, more contemporary uses of the material. But traditionally, it, it was functional. It was essential. It was problem solving. People needed to carry things, to catch things. Um, so it was very much... Um, so the, the piece we're looking at, the bus, and it's phenomenal. Um, how m- all your own work? It is. It's bizarrely, it, I find it easier to work by yourself. Some of the branches are incredibly long. Uh-huh. If two people are working together, they do tend to get in the way of one another. And also with work like this, you tend to get your own exact ideas of uh-huh. how you want it to look. And I, I just find work like this easier by myself. Um, but it, it is a more modern use of the material. It's quite a random weave as opposed to... Uh, more traditional basket work which follows an exact pattern right and a lot of the basket work we would do would be copying exact styles but this this is a much more modern use of the material and it's more of a flowing random wave so Bob how did you acquire the scale and where did it come from I was very fortunate I trained initially as a textile weaver I since got to work with a couple of real masters of the craft um, and and was very fortunate to learn from real world experts Uh a lot of people making baskets today would be largely self-taught. Right. There's no real structured learning left. I mean, it used to be a five-year apprenticeship, but it's you know it's long gone, obviously. Yeah. But, um, so I was very, very fortunate. So the skill uh, that you are displaying here, part of the whole ethos and part of the whole experience, is keeping and displaying these type of crafts that were integral to life then. But as you say, um, much of the functionality and the, the, what they represented has been lost. So it's keeping that alive. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, the, the museum's fantastic at promoting and developing and maintaining traditional crafts. It's, it's one of their aims. Um, but also, like all crafts do evolve, and you know, to, to, to grab someone's attention these days, we, we need to be doing more modern work as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, something like that is it, quite simple for somebody to get involved in. There's no big structure to follow. You know, you're, you're, you're just playing around with your own ideas. So we do try to do modern work as well as tradition. 
so do you ever have situations then where you have groups coming in, kids, particularly school kids, where you'll sit down with them and oh, give yeah. them classes on? Yeah. yeah, we would do quite a lot of courses and workshops throughout the year, just on the weekend there past, we had a workshop making willow animals. So, uh, a lot of fun, I would a think. A lot of fun, yeah. It's, it's nice to see someone's ideas starting to develop you know, over, uh, over a couple of days. But uh, and I would imagine the kids, when they see what you're doing and, and they put their hands on it, given that we live in a year, an age of technology, etc., how do you find that um, the response is? Well, well there's no question. It, it, it's nice to s- people do get a buzz out of you know actually constructing something that they can take away with them. Right. And it's a very simple material to work with. It can be very brightly coloured and has a great smell off it as well, and, and that you know buzzes with people. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's not a difficult craft. It just takes a bit of patience, a bit of repetition, a bit of practice, and you know it's like a child could work with it. Yeah. It's it's not it's not beyond anybody. It really is just practice, just a bit of repetition. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for taking the time, and it's been fascinating. And again, all I can do is encourage the listener to come on out and make sure you spend adequate amount of time to come in and see what you do and how you do it and admire the work, because you're doing a fantastic job. It's beautiful here. Pleasure. Well, then, that was fascinating. Yes. About the, the weaving. Isn't it? Bob, Bob's, Bob's just skills. such an asset to this place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's... Um, a nice walk down into the country lane here. Yes, we're um, coming to the end of the, the, the village. Town now, yeah. So if uh, maybe we'll have pop our head into this cottage here at the end, which we would call the fisherman's house. And by that, we're talking about eel fishermen from Loch Ness. Okay. Uh, any of your listeners who would know a map of the north of Ireland would know that. You smell that, yes. Mm-hmm. Smell the turf. Oh, I see the coffee is on. Sit. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that's a clash of the modern world, really, isn't it? But no, um, that smell will stay in your clothes. But I like it. I don't mind yeah. the smell. But it's funny when you start working here, um, your family has to get used to um, that. You bring part of the museum home with you. That's every right. Day, you know. That's right. But um, you can see this is a little stone-built cottage, and this is part of the road that dates from the 1600s. It's from where the Glenavy River spills out into Loch Ness. Now, Loch Ness has quite a number of rivers flowing into it, including the Ban, a very large river. Mm-hmm. And one of the big industries there to this day is eel fishing. So the fishermen here would have been um, adept at catching eels. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the eels uh, all go back to the Saragossa, Saragossa Sea. sea that's right. So they are both uh, saltwater and freshwater. They are, and they must have some kind of sensory ability to get back to the freshwater stream that leads yeah. them back to Loch Ness. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's fascinating. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? That's one of those little things, the yes. gems I remember. And, and of course, the elvers can slither across the grass as well. They're kind of like able to... Like snakes. Yeah, they're kind of... Um, this kind right. of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but the the cottage here, the fire. Um, you were talking about the coffee on it. You see the old pot <laughs> over there. Now that's turf or peat. Yeah. We call it turf usually. Burning there, lumps of it um, that look. It's like a, a very heavy brown soil dried out, and it's compressed material. Probably things like ferns and mosses from the bog. Yeah. My understanding wasn't that that they. I know there's two different kinds of bogs. There's mm-hmm. the raised bog and the blanket bog. Yeah, that's right, yes. And that's way, 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 way back that Ireland was covered in trees. Yes. And over time, as the trees fell and uh, sank mm. and rotted, mm. um, ultimately turned themselves into or decomposed into peat. Yeah, well, the fascinating thing, of course, it doesn't happen so much nowadays, but when these country folk would have been digging their supply of fuel, mm-hmm. they frequently came across 
strange things in the bogs, mm -hmm. one of which would be petrified trees mm -hmm. because of those ancient forests. Um, they could make furniture out of it. In fact, in the house across the way, we have a lovely dresser made out of what's called bog oak. Bog oak. And it dates from 1621. I have to tell you this should anybody have the opportunity of being able to visit the Irish ambassador at his residence in Ottawa, at uh, the dining table and the um, sideboard. Um, are, there's bog oak there and the uh, sideboard is uh, designed to reflect sods of turf right that's it's lovely beautiful uh, there is actually some sods of turf in a basket up there as well and can anyone go in there to see uh, that? It's, it's relatively easy to have access oh, it's not open to the public mm -hmm. but there are an awful lot of functions that are yes, uh, held, held, held so there yeah. so yeah well there we are I try and remember that and yeah. relate that to our Canadian visitors do indeed do indeed. indeed. Um, yes they find things in the bogs what else do they find bog butter have you ever heard of that I've had bog yes. butter and of course sometimes Gold artifacts, which I think is where the old um, fairy tales come from of finding a crock of gold. Okay. So um, there would have been stories maybe knocking about the countryside. If anybody had started to build a large extension to their house or whatever, they might have said, Oh, he must have found fairy gold. Or whatever, you know? Well, the other thing I, th I suppose was that uh, a few things. I've seen the um, bug man the body yes, yes. Uh, because it has very much preservative qualities it's anaerobic there's no oxygen so and I've also that. heard uh -huh. that uh, there was a chef somewhere that mm. used to keep a bucket of what was liquid soft peat beside uh -huh. because if he put his hand if, if it ever was a burned that ah, literally to put the hand right. in that that it would instant that there was that sounds interesting it, it was fascinating because uh -huh. uh, of course medicine and everything else has all yeah. come from yeah. natural produce but we're on flagstones Yes, we're no, it's actually not. a rough floor. Yes. You can see there are dips in it. That's right. And, and the interesting thing, of course, is if you look at an Irish um, pot for the fire, it often has three legs, mm -hmm. and you'll get these little stools that have three legs, mm -hmm. and that's because on a rough floor it won't rock about, mm -hmm. whereas a four-legged chair on a floor With like this, this is an earthen floor, or right. a clay floor, you could call it, and these would be renewed frequently, and the mix would be something like clay, grit, um, and maybe a bit of soil in there, you know. And then we have a dresser. Yes. That's for displaying the delftware there. That's right. And this isn't your normal stuff for everyday use. This is to say, look, aren't we posh? We've got a few nice this pieces is this, is, uh -huh. this is for when someone comes to visit. Whereas the upturned bowls here are bowl. Now, and the Ulster tongue, you might say your bowl, like your bowl of tea. Yeah. A bowl of tea. Right. This is for use for everything from soup, stew, porridge, tea, you name it. And every family member has one of those. And they're the everyday items there. Do you have any idea? And I'm, no, I'm on this curveball at you. Uh -huh. where, do, where do we get the word dresser? Dresser? Um, I don't know. I always assume that yeah, it's nothing to do with clothes. No. I maybe because they were all dressed neatly. I know. And, we, and you know, we know what mm. a dresser is, but yeah. when, when we refer, if I was to mention, as we have now, and it goes out like we're looking at a dresser, yes. we kind of say, what are they talking about? Yeah. And we're talking about what would be a uh, a, a cabinet style, uh, open cabinet, yes. on where the delf is placed on shelves yes. with rails to keep it in from falling yes, yes. and that the drawers are there for the, the cutlery and underneath right. there's uh, doors on it where other uh, utensils would have been stored that's exactly it yeah. um, now a lot of these houses would have a niche 
or a box by the fire um, this one doesn't seem to have it but it's a salt box um, salt is very precious yeah. and you have to keep it close to the heat to keep it dry um, so that's one of their precious things and there's also usually a niche for things like the family bible right. to keep that dry as well right. because let's face it these buildings are prone to damp um, you know, you're surrounded Never. by trees. Yeah, <laughs> you've, only, you've only got a fire in the main room here. Yeah, um, it'll be very seldom that they would be lighting fires in the bedroom or anything like that in a house like this. Now, this particular house here, again, very typical is two rooms. It is, yes. So we're in what is the this, living room. This is so the main living and, room. And as yes. the living room, that's where all life. Uh -huh. It basically happens, other than as we've moved into the bedroom. No, this is the bedroom with a proper bed in it, so this is quite substantial. Wooden headboard and um, at the bottom too here, and a, a mattress which uh, is probably stuffed with um, horse hair. Horse hair. Yeah. So maybe the most comfortable thing, but. I would imagine this is the um, breadwinner and his wife's uh, room. Um, if they have children, obviously you'll have a cot bed and that. Right. Now, the other room has what's called um, a settle bed. Oh, yes. Yep. And it looks like a bench against yep. the wall. This yep. is the main room, the living room we were just coming back into now. And it has these iron hooks, you can yep. see, which the blacksmith would have made. Yep. And, of course, you take the hooks off and the whole thing swings open ah. and inside would be the bedding now that uh, is a handy double bed if you like close to the fire so it's the pre precursor of the day bed it is and, and the Murphy bed the Murphy bed you're right now look these would have been reserved for people who um, maybe were sick okay. sometimes they would have put put them near the fire right. um, or elderly grandparents or whatever if, if they need a bit of heat right um, now I didn't notice a back door here no of course there isn't uh, health and safety again how did you get out if there was a terrible well I'm not even thinking of a fire but like mm. in the previous house we went out the back and there yes. was um, the lavatory or the the loo or whatever it was what was the the dry the dry toilet the dry yeah. toilet but uh, at that time what they would have referred to it probably the yard People often said, I'm going up the yard. Get up the yard. It's meant that we're yeah. going to do their business. That's right. Uh -huh. Up the yard, mind the nettles. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe if you weren't uh, in luck, there wouldn't be a proper roof on it, and you'd be sitting looking at the stars at <laughs> night. Right. So, consequently, again, because of that, there's, it, it literally would be a case of up the yard here and mind the nettles. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Now, um, or they might have had a, 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 a cha pot chamber which they would throw out. And you can see at the, the, the gable end of the house here, this is where the, the turf is kept. Right. In the leeward side, uh, sheltered from the, the rain and the wind, and that's where it would sit there. You know, um, Across the way we have some donkeys. Yeah. And the museum's proud as well of the fact that um, we have got livestock to reflect the period, so we would have um, breeds of cattle and sheep like the moily cattle which is really hornless right uh, um, you would have carries you would also have black-faced mourn sheep you would have goats uh, feral goats from 20 Fermanagh all different breeds that would reflect what you would have seen a hundred years ago then we're going to take another little break and I think as a result of being in with the um, weaver yes and finding out what the Sally Garden really is mm -hmm. I'll put a little bit of the Sally oh, Garden going good. and we'll be back with you shortly here on Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad
Welcome back to At Home and Abroad and Irish Radio Canada and we are in the Ulster Folk Museum and I'm chatting with Glenn. Glenn, we've just uh, walked down and we are in another patched cottage coming to it and it's the Weaver's Cottage. That's right. That's it's big. This is big. It's long, isn't it? But uh, you'll see inside that there's machinery in there ah. <coughs> and um, hopefully Roisin the Weaver's in there and she'll explain more to you. But it's a lovely cottage by all aspects. And you'll see it has plenty of windows in it. It does indeed. And it has... Um, uh, it's, it's, it's not a tile. Well, it's a kind of a tile. Call them flags now. Um, there's, yeah, about 12 inch square flags. Yeah, they, they've been made in, um, in uh, uh, tile makers. And uh, they are locally produced to the area. This is from near um, Lurgan, right. which is part of the Linen Triangle. So you're looking at Belfast, Lisburn, Lurgan, that direction, all okay. the way along the Lagan Valley. Big for production of linen. That uh, raises an interesting <coughs> question. How far afield have buildings been brought to here? What's the most distant? Yeah. Like well, I suppose we've won from the border Armagh Monaghan, so County Monaghan and County Donegal would be the farthest. Now, right. I don't know, I assume some of your listeners understand that Ulster as a concept is nine counties, yes. whereas Northern Ireland the state in which we are um, part of the United Kingdom is only six counties mm -hmm. but because we're the Ulster Folk and Transport Museum we, we can bring buildings from obviously with permission you don't just go and lift oh, the no. building no. No, no. So, so you can bring them from you know uh, the nine, count yes, nine counties but yeah. this one has a feature which we've seen in a couple of other buildings this is called the jam wall Yeah. little window in it and this separates of course the outside world from where the main fire is and so if you're the woman of the house and you're working at the fire, you're doing your cooking or whatever you're doing, you can see out there who's coming past, who's coming to the door. Right. But it's also keeping the draft off the fire. Right. Um, and, of course, friends and even strangers would not be worried about coming and wrapping the door and coming in for a chat or asking for a drink of water or buttermilk as they come past. Now, looking up here, the ceiling in this is definitely a different quality yes. than has been in the, the other. Um, we're looking at, uh, we can see um, Tungden Groove, it looks like Tungden Groove maybe, yes. or, but it's uh, creating an area over the fire. An um, open loft. An uh, open loft, a sleeping area. And also known as a skay. And this is um, for migrant workers in many houses. This is where they would sleep if you had a farm, say, okay. and you wanted labourers that you'd hired maybe at this time of year yeah. for six months, right through the summer period, um, spring, summer. And they would sleep up there. Okay. Uh, it's a nice warm spot. It is. There would be a wooden ladder, of yeah. course, but yeah. for health and safety, obviously, we don't leave a wooden ladder about because yeah. that's quite a drop if you fell from up there. Indeed. Uh -huh. Now, I see one or two items here as well, which, again, would be not untypical in that. I see a bird has created made their nest. Yes, these would be our house martins that come every year and uh, like to nest. And that would not have been untypical? It wouldn't be untypical, and I suppose some people would feel uh, averse to turfing them out. Some people might think that's quite a nice, a lucky thing to have. Yeah. Um, we leave the door open so that they can come in and out. Yeah. And uh, lying up on the loft there, you can see the flax. You can see the little flower heads there now. They're all bleached out. But yeah. Flax often with a blue flower, and this would be a huge crop in Ulster a hundred years ago. In fact, so much so that I believe they imported thousands of tons from Belgium to keep up with the demand for the looms. Now, flax has a long, um, sinuous sort of fibre. 
through the middle of it in the core and that's what you want to get at those are the threads really that are woven into the linen um, after a number of many stages to get at it um, and you don't cut it you pull it out mm. of the ground so that you are preserving the maximum length of those fibres right. So it has to be uh, grown, obviously, harvested. It has to be retted or rotted in a pool. Then the, the bark removed from it, the threads taken out, combed. It has to um, then be woven, of course, and bleached. And it's a whole long process to produce linen, which is a high-value commodity. Yeah. Um, and had world-renowned. Had world-renowned. Yeah, I noticed at um, one of the other museums that I think they were close on... 500,000 looms or spinners yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's largely in the factories in Belfast by the time it becomes mechanised. When they develop a wet spinning method, mm-hmm. mechanised method, um, it's women in the factories mm-hmm. largely operating those machines. Mm-hmm. But you've got a lot of men as weavers in little cottages like this before that and they at some point in the 1800s can earn a very good living but then it becomes depressed so that they're earning only a fraction of what they once earned and, and they struggle, uh, they struggle of course, to make uh, a living again going back to some of the musical heritage I understand the, the women would have sung and there is also the songs about the work of the weaver there is indeed, now I don't know if Roisin here is going to sing for us hello Roisin <laughs> How you doing? I, I, I'll let you um, have a chat with Roisin. So Roisin Aston is here at the loom and uh, welcome Roisin. Uh, what are we looking at? How This particular loom, how far back or when might it have been uh, an operational loom? Um, in use probably late 1800s is when she dates from but she'd probably be in use way 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 before that. Right. Um, it comes to the museum by uh, 1960s. Uh, so we have two looms, both of them are originally Jacquard looms so they have the Jacquard engine at the top which makes them capable of doing patterns but this we want to set up just to do cambric linen or plain just like the house originally would have made so there would have been space in this room for about four looms. Right. And the loom then when you say can do patterns mm-hmm. um, this would have been a development as after, in a way, the factory started producing? No, no, just no? before actually. Uh, Jacquard engine comes in in 1804. Right. Um, our spinning mills come in about the 1820s for Ireland, uh, weaving factories uh, by the 1840s for linen. And um, so this predates it. It's basically the start um, of digital binary and programming being used. Um, That's and I was going to, it's when you said digital binary program. I'm looking at uh, what were like the old computer cards yes, yeah. in the early computerized days mm-hmm. where um, there were punch hole. Um, but again, if if I were to compare it to uh, the old dot matrix printer where you would have a stack of paper that would go, but it's all punched. Mm-hmm. So that punch is a pattern. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, as it runs up and through, it'll tell the loom certain threads to move. So the likes of tweeds, you're, you're usually moving in fours. In Jacquard, you're using thousands. So out of two and a half thousand threads, you can tell it to just move two. Say you want a dot and I, or if you want to do um, the likes of that has what's called the deer in the ferns, where there's a wee stag stand in the corner you're making any pattern by just telling the loom certain threads to lift um, it creates little fine gaps that the west thread will fill the left to right thread and it'll start to build it up line by line square by square little by little and, and is there a limitation then on the number of colours that you might be able to put in generally most will keep white on white for linen linen always naturally tries to go back to its original yellowed kind of colour okay. it's easier to bleach it if you can keep it white on white we have it uh, blue so you can see it Yes, um, it's quite hard to see. So really, what you're looking at then is a pattern that is very subtle within the weave, mm-hmm. rather than that is something that is uh, kind of 
uh, standing out uh -huh. strongly. Yeah, yeah. Rather than painted on or embroidered on, um, it, it's best seen say on the, on the table when a light flickers, candle, a gas lamp, yeah. and as the the candle flickers and different shadows start to fall across it, you'll see different parts of the pattern starting to, to actually start to appear. Um, now this machine that we're looking mm -hmm. at is in a house, so mm -hmm. again, it, the <coughs> village would have had its own weaver. Had, would have multiple, yeah. Um, some of the towns are set up, uh, the likes of Wee Warringstown or even Lurgan. Uh, Warringstown was one of our first weaving villages, so it would have been rows and rows and rows of weaver's houses with at least one loom, uh, maybe in a side room, that you got cheaper rent if somebody would actually weave um, out the back and then it was encouraged. Okay. Uh, the likes of Wee Ballydugan is a wee bit outside Lurgan, um, so they're quite independent. The next house is, is a wee bit away. But again, it would have been a concentration of weavers. Um, generally, the lag on the band valleys where most flax grows, it's where you get most of your spinning happen. So it's where you get most of your weaving also starting to happen. Right, right. Um, weaving has changed in that mm -hmm. mass production is mm -hmm. tending to come now from the east. Uh, cotton has taken over mm -hmm. where uh, it was flax. Uh, so the mills have not survived in Northern Ireland. It's no, spinning mills die out uh, long before weaving factories do um, because we stopped producing uh, flax. Um, I guess weaving our spinning mills first started to die off and um, it's easier just to buy in pre-spun. Weaving factories hold on a wee bit longer um, yeah. up until um, end of the 90s, 2000s. Um, we have a couple still left, mainly one out in Banbridge that will still weave linen. Um, most have diversified I guess to keep up with the markets instead. Right, right. But so, no very much so what we're looking at is very much history and mm -hmm. it's a dying, or yeah. it's an op uh, dying is an obsolete mm -hmm. uh, skill set mm -hmm. that was very rich in the area. Provided employment, provided a whole economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you said, even the culture to it, the likes of some of the songs, Weaver's Poets, and um, that idea, um, a lot of it comes from the, the looms and um, the rhythm that the looms will make as you weave on. And it would have encouraged authors to write stories around lifestyle yeah. and all the yeah, rest of it. Yeah, you get a lot of books, even um, the likes of people who experience working in the, in the spinning mills or the weaving factories, and different books starting to come out um, about those conditions, um, what it was like. Um, yeah, it's quite an interesting, because it was such a big industry, and um, it covers an awful lot of um, social aspects. Indeed, well. indeed. Mm -hmm. Well, Roshan, thanks a million for taking no a few minutes. It's been fascinating. And uh, do you want to just... Uh, yeah, 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 she, she just let, let's nice, really. turn, turn on the, the loom there and, and we can... So you sit in and there's pedals? Uh -huh, two foot pedals control uh, what are called your warp threads. So in this wee loom there's 1580 individual threads. You just divide them into two. I'll pop that down and swap them over. Your hand throws what's called the flange shuttle thread. Yeah. And that leaves a single wet thread as it goes. And that's a little thread that you're building. So as you send it across, you use a little reef, little comb, just to push it in. Stop. So um, it would strike me that you would have a lot of re repetitive stress injuries. Uh, quite possibly, yeah. <laughs> uh, generally on your shoulders and your hands, um, but you will start to feel it in your lower back as you're moving both your feet and your arms at the same time. The thing keeping you really upright is your lower back. So the people who worked in the mills, um, <coughs> their tenure of employment probably was somewhat limited. Uh, it it, again, it always depends on where you are. In some of the spinning mills in the carding room, they used to say if the if 
a girl got a card at 18, she needed to get out, um, otherwise she wouldn't see 30. But there's other places that likes a hand weaving like this, and um, they're still hand weavers, still weaving into their 70s, into their okay. 80s. Okay. So ju- I guess it just depends on where you were. Um, but again, predominantly, whether it was mills, factories, or hand weaving, the first thing that would go is your hearing. Right. Um, right. Everything was noisy. Right. Very, very noisy. <laughs> well, Roisin, thanks a million. It's been fascinating. And uh, again, I can encourage everyone, if you get the opportunity, you definitely should be coming out to the Ulster Folk Museum. And uh, you'll go away from here richer in every respect. And then you'll so then one of the things I learned in there was that uh, somebody's life, uh, working life, would probably be determined by their continued hearing or lack thereof. Because be whether uh, the noise in the linen mills and the noise at the shipbuilding, but noise was a major issue. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny now, you're mentioning something which pertains directly to a hundred years ago and the introduction of um, a Pensions Act, right, in 1909, uh-huh. to uh, allow people who are destitute to claim something to keep them away from the workhouse. Right. But you had to prove that there was nobody else to support you. Okay. And there was no way you could earn a living. And you find there are a lot of people who have crippling arthritis or going blind, they've got cataracts or deaf and you know they're finding it extremely difficult. Now you're not talking a vast sum of money, I think the maximum when it was first introduced was five shillings a week. Right. But it's just about enough to keep them in a little small cottage and uh, keep a wolf from the door. Right. But they have to go down to the post office to claim it. Okay. And we saw the post office. We did. And it's right in the centre of the town. Yeah. And of course that's embarrassing for some people. So I believe, from what I've read, some people would never bother to do yeah. this. But the other thing I find fascinating about it is they had government inspectors who would call out with anyone claiming the pension in the countryside and they would ask them some questions to make sure they were 70 years of age or more Right. and they would be guard questions asking them if they remembered certain events okay. when the railway arrived when who the first station master was what school they went to who the mistress or master was there all that and only when they proved that they were destitute they were 70 plus they qualified they qualified I noticed we passed a milestone Mm-hmm. The marker there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a milestone. Yeah, it was. Now that's really where it comes. That's where it we like have rescued all sorts of things. I know. Yeah. In the heads row there, you have yeah. that lurking. Yeah. Now I have to ask another question because mm-hmm. you are in costume. Yes. And you have a bowler hat on. I have. And a bowler hat is very much a synonymous, in a way, with either mm-hmm. banking in London, but also with the North of Ireland. It is. It's it's a, a very evocative symbol. Uh-huh. I've had people remind me all sorts of things that. It reminds some people of um, Clockwork Orange, the Anthony Burgess novel. <laughs> There's bowler hats in that. Yeah, well, actually, now that um, you mentioned that the front cover, I can see resemblance. Anthony Steed, the Avengers. That's right. Of it was something a British officer would wear. Okay. And sometimes I've heard that some of them would wear them even on the field of battle. But yes, a hat in Belfast, in the shipyard, was a supervisor. Ah. You see? And some of them had hats very much looking like a bowler hat, but with a... Uh, protective lining okay. in case a rivet or something dropped off the scaffold right. onto their head yeah. but they would have shouted a hat here comes a hat and that would mean get back to work and look busy you see okay um, okay so that's yes the bankers as well but yeah no so you're down to the forge and uh, the blacksmith must be on a house call 
The blacksmith might be out. Because the blacksmith would have had to go on house calls. Yeah, this is right. He could have to go and look at a fairly large piece of machinery, maybe um, the shoe of a plough or something. Right. He's, for some reason, he has to go and see what's wrong. Or he might be going to measure up to make a gate. Right. Um, he was not just shoeing horses or anything like that. That's a farrier. A oh blacksmith, right. of course, does all, all the, the other metal, work. the, the, the cast, oh, mm-hmm. cast metal. Um, so, um, th- mentioning gates, it's probably a good opportunity for us to walk towards the gate and wrap mm-hmm. up for today. Sure. Um, <coughs> because it's been a fascinating walk through the Ulsterfolk Museum. Um, as we said at the beginning, if anybody wants to come visit here, it's 10-15 um, minutes outside Belfast. Uh, probably no more than a 10 minute taxi ride about 20 minutes on the bus uh, public transport you can get here yes. and um, it's open 10am and runs until well at this time of year we'll be closing the buildings at 5 Okay. but that doesn't mean people can't enjoy the. this is a gorgeous day for walking around so you can enjoy the grounds after that yeah. you'll not get kicked out at 5 o'clock if you know what I mean yeah. we just start locking the buildings at that time so. and uh, a google search will bring you to the, the website well. our website um, which goes under NMNI which stands for National Museums Northern Ireland right. so if you look up NMNI.com you'll find a fabulous website which will tell you everything you need to know and I see we're coming to another milestone mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well some of them are bearing of course um different place names from all across Ulster where they've been rescued from and, and some would be made out of metal and some are carved into the stone right right mm-hmm. Well, Dan Cross, thanks a million for spending time with me today, and maybe you and I will get to have another chat and uh, take a walk through the Transport Museum. I would love that. If you've got the time, I'll certainly give you the benefit of whatever knowledge I have, and we'll do that. You've been listening to Irish Radio Canada. We've spent today at the Ulster Folk Museum outside Belfast, and uh, if you've enjoyed this, tune in again, because we're going to go and spend another tour and share it with you another week in the Ulster Transport Museum.